This episode of the Gentleman Scofflaw podcast is brought to you by Patreon and the Gentleman Scofflaw merchandise page. Go to gentlemanscofflaw.com. In the menu, click the support or shop links to help support the show. You are listening to the Gentleman Scofflaw podcast. Listener beware. Rise and shine, the liquor store is open I ain't got time for moping, I best be on my way Well, I still got time to save my reputation Time to go day drinking in this dirty little town Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Crowder. Uh, with me in person, as usual, is the Don, Donovan Fowler. Yes, I am. And joining us all the way from the great white north is Johnny Boy. By the way, Hi. this podcast, for the Rebel and the Renaissance, man. How you guys doing? Yeah, that is the Rebel and the Renaissance, man. Despite what John is typing into the show notes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Mm. Uh, for trying to keep it listen- lively. For those quite, of you quite uh, funny. <laughs> listening... Uh, <laughs> We, 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 you know, because John joins us from remote, we have a Google shared document for every episode that has all of the topics and questions and stuff we want to cover. And uh, sometimes, while I'm doing the intro or in the middle of interviewing a guest, uh, John likes to mess with us and starts typing uh, inappropriate uh, stuff into the show notes while I'm reading it. <laughs> In real time. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 uh, the show notes become R-rated real fast. Uh, really fast. Um, let's start off with a bit of housekeeping, and then we'll get in. We'll get into all the good stuff. Um, I am uh, smoking some. It's called Crowder's Blend, and my brother sent this to me. Um, John David Cole, the uh, tobacco Jesus from uh, Country Squire, made this custom blend for us. It is like a... I guess it's like a it's like a kind of traditional vanilla that's vanilla kind of uh I'd say maybe a little bit of rum. I don't know what exactly is in it, but there's more burly in it, so it's got more of a nicotine punch. So um nicotine punch. punch. Um so that's what it is and I'm smoking it in an old vintage uh a Fairmont, is it a Fairmont pipe? Yeah, Fairmont Pipe uh, from uh, L.A.'s uh, John's Pipe Shop in Los Angeles um, that no longer exists. Um, Bummer. Wait, where did that exist before it went out? There was one down on Hollywood Boulevard oh. way back when. I think it closed in the 70s. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. But I, I got it at a vintage shop before my time. Um, what are you drinking there, John? I have nothing to drink, but I do have a... Uh what do you call these? The candy bracelet from Halloween. <laughs> so, the things that are like, uh, I, I just remember as a child, those were extremely it's, hard to eat. Very well, the difficult. trick is, if you want to get the candy fast, is you break the string and you just pop it in. That's and a good slice. point. That's I used to point. just yeah. throw it into my mouth with the string, chew until all the candy was gone, and then I would just spit out the string. Like a cartoon character when they eat something with the bones. Oh, you know, or you could end up swallowing it, and then you got all sorts of problems. Yeah, I don't know. I've yeah. swallowed worse. Um, <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, what do we got to drink there, John, uh, Donovan? Oh, Whoa. Gosh, that was That's why unexpected. I said to wait till we got. I don't know. I took the I took the cage off, and I didn't expect it to do that. For all of those listening, you just had you just were privy to. Uh, so I was holding this uh, this wonderful 
Um, I, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Quinquinagory. You're supposed to be able to read these fancy words. What is it? I don't know that word. It's not a French word. Quinquinagory. Anyways, it's a yeah, 2017 vintage ale from our our friends over at Trader Joe's. Our our friend Trader Joe. But but you know who makes it. Is Who? Unibrew de Chambly in Montreal. Same people that make Fain du Monde. Oh, there we go. Yeah. It's a dark ale yeah. brewed with spices and natural flavor. And uh, it just, the the cork, I was holding it off to the side. Luckily, I wasn't holding it pointed at my face. <laughs> uh, but it just <laughs> popped off. It was a great moment. And now we're going to drink this yeah. son of a bitch. And this, they come out, Trader Joe's comes out with this every year. You can only get it um, the months of November and December. And John... You know, you were talking about yeah. how you can't age beer. Actually, yeah. many people buy this and they cellar it and they keep it for years at a time because it only comes out in limited editions. It's different every year. And I guess if they store it in a cool, dark place, it'll last uh, for a long time. It smells oh, quite I'm good. so happy I was wrong. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to tell my dad about this because he likes to cellar beer like uh, scotch ales and stuff like that, which yeah. actually I think cellar pretty well too. We'll, we'll, we'll have some of those on the That's show so coming up. All right, and later on on the show, we're going to have a Major Scott Husing, who is uh, an author and uh, <gasps> a veteran, an act, a former Marine. He uh, wrote the Ten book. Ten Deployments. Ten Deployments. He wrote a book called Echo and Ramadi. Yeah. It's about to come out. Um, so that'll be, uh, he'll have some interesting stories. And this is Veterans Day weekend. So um, we thought it would be a good idea our, to have a our, great guy like him on. Our mugs are raised to... All the men and women who have served. Let's yes. let's do a customary, oh, customary. Uh, scofflaw clink. There we there go. go. And uh, we drink to all of our men and women all um, around. Thank you. And even in Canada, you guys helped us. Uh, you know, take uh, take the beaches in Normandy. That's right. We we were Juneau, over there right? during World War II before you guys. It's true. Let's not uh, let's not forget who won the war, though. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting I mean. tidbit. I I think this is accurate. Uh, I think Canada had more soldiers per capita than any other nation in the Allied forces. Interesting. I That's wish crazy. they would remember yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I wish Canada would remember that, and and uh, you know. Uh, no, we, we do a pretty good job with the Remembrance Day up here. Yeah, you yeah. guys do a good... Yeah. I, what I love about Canada is their Remembrance Day like parades. They're really solemn and they're just like, they're a great event to take your kids to, to learn, you know, about about uh, what people had to do uh, so that we can live the way that we do, so that we can be free and in Nothing teaches a three-year-old about World War Two like a Remembrance Day parade. And then the first 25 minutes of Private Ryan. <laughs> oh, God. It's true. It's true. Did it is not say, something wait, they'll did forget. did you say a three-year-old? <laughs> well, he got to get them I'm young. I'm laughing at the at the content you said is true, but when when I in my mind, no. I'm thinking three-year-old. I remember seeing Save a Private Ryan on TV when I was... 12? Yeah. I remember and it was a big deal because they weren't going to censor any it of it. Was, yeah, it was on ABC and and I think it was the first time it was aired and uh, I remember being horrified yeah. by the stuff that I saw. And, you know, now I look at it and it's like, you know, it's it's still, it's still you know, very impactful, but you yeah. almost you, you do get a little bit deadened over time to, with all the with all the stuff that's coming out. But yeah, especially all you need to do is watch a couple Tarantino movies, and then you're like, oh, well, that's not that's as bad not as real. That. Um, that's not real. Um, how are you guys' weeks? Anything happen in your your week, John? Yeah, Johnny, what's going on with you? 
He's still chewing the bracelet. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> All right. Um, I had I I I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off recently. Yeah. Did you have a day off? The, the the dozens time. Dozens. Oh, wait, doesn't really. Dozens. Is I, that a word? I must have seen that movie like a few dozen times. Oh wow! Well, What's, you're, you're, you you got to catch up. You're behind the curve. <laughs> I, I am. I'm an amateur. Amateur Bueller. You're an amateur um, Hughes fan. So you know at the end of the movie when Ferris's sister gets confronted by Mr. Rooney in their house and she drop kicks him? Yeah. Well, they imply that she has no idea who he is and then only realizes when she finds the wallet afterwards. Yeah, that but was how did she weird. not recognize him? That was a little bizarre. Like that was kind of a. I will say this is this is the only hole in that plot you're concerned with. <laughs> well, that 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 that, that and pancreas. You know that whole pancreas thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Where he yeah. says like we had we had pancreas, and it's all because they cut the scene where they ate pancreas. Oh, did they? Oh. They did. Oh. Yeah, wow. Fun fact for all you uh, IMDb trivia hounds out there. No, but uh, but yeah, I'm trying to remember that part. Yeah, she kicks him, and then I don't... Yeah, basically... It, then she runs upstairs, I think and then she, she... I think she probably figured it. She saw his face, right? Yeah, she yeah, saw his she, face. Yeah, so she probably figured it out afterwards and just thought he was a sexual predator nonetheless. I understood that she only figured it out when she found his wallet. You know that Maybe guy. That guy. Um, what the guy who played Rooney is a um, pedophile. Is that yeah. other, other fun? What fact. was the story with that? Again? I think actually he was arrested on child porn or something like that. I think but, he's uh, friends with Kevin Spacey. I hate. When, <laughs> it sucks. Why do these actors have to be such and, terrible and people? Ruin our favorite movies and Let's ruin just the send lives them all back to everybody Um. K-Pax, oh my gosh. K-Pax. Um, <laughs> have you guys seen this uh, this story going around um, about Amazon? Um, there was a couple that uh, ordered a bunch of plastic storage bins from Amazon. Oh, I see what you did here, package. And, uh, <laughs> and when they received their bins, um, they found 65 pounds of marijuana inside. Mm, lucky them. What did they pay for the bins? I don't know. I'm sure. I don't know. Probably like five bucks a bin or whatever those things are. Um, well, then they I got love, themselves a deal. In this, in this article, they, they after they they uh, they say they found 65 pounds of marijuana, the writer then says, now that's Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> Was this written by Gene Shalit? Yeah, this almost sounds like a uh, an Onion article, but it, it, I, it no, well, it's probably true. And I read somewhere else um, in another article that apparently it was like, Worth like its street value was like a hundred and like thirty thousand uh, dollars or something, and um, so they tried like the to return it to Amazon, and uh, <laughs> I guess Amazon just gave him a gift card and said keep the rest. Yeah, wow. yeah I I uh, I feel like this could be like the beginning of the next Breaking Bad. Like this, Definitely. this unlikely couple just went in for storage bins, but then became <laughs> drug dealers. The best drug dealers in suburbia. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do if I if that would happen because, like, you'd be afraid because you'd be holding a lot of drugs, and then you'd be like, "Okay, wait, wait, how do I go about this to where I don't look like I'm guilty here?" Well, I think I think at that point you just call the cops as soon as possible. Yeah, because uh, I mean, if you. 
if I, you it, what what else are you going to do? Like, yeah, I what guess else you'd you have a record do? of it because Amazon gives you step by step delivery delivery record, and they would see when it was timestamp delivered to your doorstep and all that. You could say, "Hey, this just came in. Yeah. I have no idea what this is." You also don't want you don't want it around when whoever was shipping it comes looking for it. Well, that's, just what, in it, case. that's what it said too. <laughs> just is in that, case Anton Chigurh uh, shows up at your house with a silent shotgun. Well, well they say that uh, this couple actually left town for a couple of days because they didn't want the persons who it belonged to to come looking for it and yeah. then to be home. That stands to reason. Which is crazy. What are you doing with your with your hand there, John? What's I'm the matter with your... my scratching my head. I might have to let his hand. What's, what's the matter with his face? That's what I mean. Like, what's with your... No, I was going to say, what's wrong with your <laughs> finger? Oh, I have a bit of a, a cyst on my fingertip. It's a... Uh, I think the technical term is peronochial or maybe... Something completely different. No, that's a nose condition where if you lie too much, it, it starts to turn into a broomstick. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm here all night. You're making like, dad, dad, these are the dad jokes. <laughs> oh, it's some sort of a, a of a growth that has pus in it that oh, I tried to... Uh, you popped it. Ex- I, I popped it last night. What did you pop I, it with? Uh, a sewing needle that I heated over a flame and nice. then wiped with alcohol. Yeah, you know the flame. Figure, the heating it doesn't really do anything. It's just to sterilize it. Well, you, well, yeah, that's the idea, isn't it? <laughs> I know, but like I remember, like somebody Boy, was like, I helped a friend. Week. <laughs> I had a friend that uh, that uh, was like insisting on using fire, but he had already wiped it off with alcohol, and I was like, it's the same thing. You just sterilized it. Just a double uh, whammy. My idea was I'm going to sterilize it twice just to be safe oh, because okay. I already have an infection. I mean, who yeah. knows where that sewing needle's been? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, yuck. <laughs> so uh, the interesting thing is at the doctor's office, uh, I learned that uh, my doctor has released an album of some sort. Oh, really? And the way I know this is he started stacking them right next to me while I was sitting there waiting for him. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd have to ask him about it? (laughs) I had to ask him about it and... Yada yada yada. Twenty you, bucks later. That's why you don't. You just don't. <laughs> I have a CD that I can't play because I don't have a CD player. Oh no! <laughs> so, so, uh, so you I'll were forced to, to buy. You were cornered to buy your doctor's CD. It's extortion. I'll tell you that. Why would and, Why would you sell a physical CD this day and age? I feel like like people don't seem to like. It's always like the real, the amateurs that are doing that still. <laughs> well, I guess if he said. Uh, you know, if you, if you go online and you could buy my album on iTunes, no one would buy any. But if you're stacking CDs next to your patients for eight <laughs> hours a day, every day. <laughs> oh, gosh. So he, do you think he does that with every patient? He starts stacking them and goes, and then people go, what's that? He goes, oh, this is just, oh, these are nothing. These are just my albums. <laughs> Absolutely. See, I, I, think, I think, but I think part of this is on you because you actually asked him. Yeah, you should have just. You, you shouldn't have bit, taken the bait. You should have just kept it professional, man. But then, what if he, uh, you know, gave me the wrong antidote to the finger problem? Well, the CD would have had nothing to do with it. it would have just been because he hated your face. I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so you you felt you weren't going to get the proper medical attention you needed if you didn't buy the CD. Correct. Well, that that is extortion, right? So, uh, but you, if my finger does get fixed and all it cost me was twenty bucks on a CD, that actually I looked up some of the songs on YouTube. It's not that bad. You, you actually listen so, to it, like it's his songs you can listen to. Yeah, it's win win. 
Win-win. Oh, well, that's cool. Well, yeah. why don't you give him a plug then? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't listen to it on Spotify? All right. Can't have him on. We can't have him on to play live for us on Skype. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, didn't... When you would did you did they have to give you a shot or anything for the infection for like uh, antibiotics or anything or no I'm on I'm on penicillin pills which okay. interesting side note if you burp uh, just after taking one it tastes like you ate mothballs <laughs> yeah oh man that's that's ridiculous that's probably probably not good for you. <laughs> Mm. It can't be mm. good. Not good for your taste buds, no, anyway. All right, let's go to a little segment uh, we like to call Listener Mail. All righty, guys. Um, we got some, some mail this week. Um, and for you, the listener, if you want to interact with the show, you could join us on social media iTunes, Facebook, Instagram. Any one of those uh, platforms, uh, you could send us a message. Uh, you could also uh, leave us a review on iTunes, which not only helps give us some stuff to talk about on the show and to read on the show, but also helps with our search rankings. So uh, if you want to help support the show, that's one way you can do that. Uh, Johnny Boy, what does iTunes have for us this week? All right. This one is five-star rated by Taylor Brigham. Uh, he says, uh, this podcast is great. It makes me want to smoke my pipe every time I tune in. I don't always indulge, however. You guys have successfully brought me to the purchase uh, of new tobacco from the Country Squire and completely changed the way I remove the hairs from my face. Uh, thanks to the Razor Emporium and Phoenix Shaving. Mm, oh, if nice. you guys could not invite anyone who specializes in so obscure and very expensive hobby, that would be great because I would inevitably find myself inspired and hooked your gentleman in scofflaws <laughs> oh man that's uh, we hope you're not wasting all your money on on uh on on hobbies but at the same time well, it sounds it. like he hasn't wasted a dime he's mm -hmm. bought some very you know <laughs> useful and uh it's true you know, effective instruments but our legal, being a man our legal team will tell you that we're not liable for any money wasted on any obscure items so <laughs> They'll come crying to us. Well, thank you, uh, Taylor. And we'll try to avoid uh, having people come on that'll, uh, you know, trigger your expensive uh, hobby uh, habits. If you guys wanted to have a, like another hobby, what would it be? A hobby, a hobby you don't you don't uh, pursue yet? You guys have any uh, scuba diving? Scuba diving that'd be a good one. Sailing, but I'd probably Sailing. die at sea. I'm not very good at directions. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like woodworking would be fun. You know, did you ever watch Band of Brothers? Woodworking would be great. Yeah. Uh, if you have a lathe, that's all you really need. That's <laughs> all you need to get started. Wait a minute. Let me close out that thought because otherwise it's going to sound really weird that I just plugged <laughs> Band, of Brother. Band of Brothers. <laughs> Where I was going with that is that at the at, in the wrap of that uh, series, which is of course a great series. Um, one of the guys who, you know, you've gone through this entire journey with, he's like, you know, he's giving, uh, he's giving kind of like the stories of where they all went kind of very much like in the sandlot. Right. Yeah. And, um, and one guy, he's like, he's like, he went back to college and finished off his degree and then wrote a book about sharks. 
And it's like, uh, and then he says, one day he went out to sea and nobody ever saw him again. And then it just stops right there and goes on the next guy. You know, it's just like, I think it's, um, I'm trying Webster. That's the guy out of that know. group. But that it just would be, uh, I, I, I figured it's like, okay, that pretty much makes sense. But I, I thought that would have been me if I, if I was a sailor, that probably would have been me. All right. Um, moving on. Yes. Let's, uh, uh, Donovan, you want to read that YouTube comment? Sure. Uh, there will be some bleepage here, but uh, no, no, no worries. Rob B says, "Are all the Crowders fucking hilarious?" LOLOL. Your father has some good semen. Wait. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that is. Uh, oh. That's. Uh, well, I, I can see why you didn't want to read that. Uh, thank but. you. Thank you for that comment, Rob. Yeah. Um. I guess I don't know. I don't you're know. Pass, you're gonna pass that along. I to don't your dad. know if I would agree. <laughs> I don't know if I would agree with that. I don't know. Well, I, guess, I think you just want to. It's, it's, no it's a lose, lose. It's just a no, it's a no comment. No comment on that one. No comment on that comment. <laughs> uh, let's go to a listener voicemail. And if you want to leave listener voicemail, you can call the phone number man eight one scoff two f's and uh, leave us a message for a chance to get played on the show. All right. Uh, here we go. Let me play this. Ought to be good. Hi, I have a question in the form of a riddle for you guys. Um, if a scoff law could scoff laws, which law would you scoff laws scoff? <laughs> Answer me that one. Riddle me that. <laughs> can we also just for kicks read the uh the the translation of what on he's google? saying on okay. google that google translated okay we, we can we can just read it and then we All can right. cut it out if it doesn't work all but right let's this is hi i have a question in the form of a riddle for you guys so far so good if scott could stop laws <laughs> which law la just la law would you stop loss Answer me that one. <laughs> Real meal at. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That's uh, why AI is never going to conquer no, us. Never. They can't understand uh, the intricacies of the human voice. Uh, what, what law would you scoff? With a scoff? Like, uh, what laws are you? Are you scoffing any laws right now? Am I scoffing any laws right now? I won't comment on that yeah. one. But uh, if, I, if I had a law that I would scoff, what? I, sc- I guess I scoff at the law every time I, I smoke my pipe out on the patio. Oh, yeah. Smoking. Well, that's not that's technically illegal. Yeah. In um, California, in my neighborhood and being that close oh, to the building. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get a smog check. You, yeah. But okay. Then, they, then they'd deny my registration and I'd get shot <laughs> by the police. <laughs> what, would you, uh, what would you scoff at, John? Or are you scoffing any laws? Oh, boy. I, I'm... Hesitant to incriminate myself. Yeah, don't incriminate yourself. <laughs> uh, as our legal team will say, do not incriminate yourself on this podcast. We can't help you. Uh, I, I would probably scoff something petty and mundane just for kicks. Like um, Ooh, zoning laws. Zoning I totally laws? scoff those laws. That's I, right. I, if I If I built an extension, I would put it like an inch too close to the next property. Yeah. 
Yeah. There you go. It's the, it's the kind of uh These are really scuff. lame scuff. <laughs> <laughs> like people like during prohibition. Well, let's, let's put it this way. <laughs> well, I guess the actual original scuff laws yeah, were, there's true. much more at stake for them, I guess. I feel like I feel like we uh <laughs> There are some serious laws I could mention scoffing, but like I said I don't want to make myself a target for certain uh <laughs> certain John's going to mismeasure on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll keep it. We'll keep it. We'll keep it G in we'll terms G. Of, of breaking the law on this podcast. But uh, wait, yeah. what do you mean Ooh, G? Also, Are you thinking of like you're not thinking of like some Harvey don't Weinstein pull a hollow, stuff? Man. No, I, come on, you get, get your mind out of the gutter. All right, I'm thinking. I'm thinking like uh, founding fathers kind of stuff. But uh, that being said, I also do like to go. Uh, you know, I have gone. Um, over 100 miles an hour in my car on occasion and that's uh, that's been fun oh gosh um, but it's you know dancing with the devil at that point dancing you're not just the scoffing the laws here alright let's go to a quick break and we'll be back with a Major Scott Husing of Echo Scoff and Ramani. I wanted to take a second to talk to you about Patreon um, now if you've never heard of Patreon basically it's a platform for creators for 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 patrons who are fans of a, a a given creator to help support their creation. So we have a Patreon page for the Gentleman Scofflaw podcast. You could support the show for as little as a dollar an episode, which is like what? Is it is cheaper than a than a Starbucks coffee, right? So maybe give up uh, one. Why does everyone always do that? They say it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Okay, what what else do you spend a dollar on? Uh, maybe uh, you know it's it's cheaper than uh, you know buying uh, you know uh, Q-tips. You know maybe you don't need Q-tips for the month. You know maybe this month you avoid Q-tips, right? I don't know. I mean. I hear they're bad for you anyway, but maybe maybe that's not true. I, I don't. Maybe, maybe don't sacrifice anything related to health um, for for the dollar an episode. But um, Patreon is great because uh, you, the patron, also gets rewards for uh, joining the Patreon. So uh, examples of stuff that we have are extended interviews and outtakes, stuff that gets cut out of the episode that you don't hear for time's sake because we try to keep a tight, you know, entertaining show. And sometimes there is some gold that doesn't make the final cut. So you get to listen to some of that. Um, Also, you get uh, behind-the-scenes videos, photos, and bonus episodes. For example, we did a bonus episode at the Big Shave West, um, which was a lot of fun. So more of those type of things are coming, as well as monthly live video hangouts where you can interact with us in person, which is a lot of fun. We've done a couple of, of, of free ones to test it out, and it's been a lot of fun. We get to talk with uh, the listeners in real time and get to know them, and uh, they get to ask questions, and it's always a, it's always a good time. And here's the piece de resistance is um, when we hit our, our, our goal mark, we are launching a whole new movie review podcast, a gentleman's golf law movie review podcast. Since, you know, we're, we're all of us on the show are writers and filmmakers, and that's our background. We love movies. Um, we're going to go through a catalog of what we think are either gentlemen or scofflaw-esque movies. Um, so if you join, you'll get that show as well. Everyone who joins on Patreon at any one of the tiers, even at the dollar an episode, gets 
a free Gentleman's Golf Law vinyl sticker, which is super cool. It's like a full color sticker. You, could, you know, it's uh, really sticky. You could stick it on, uh, you know, anything you want to stick it on. Also, you'll get thanked on the air for your support. So check out patreon.com slash gentscofflaw, or you could go to gentlemanscofflaw.com and click the support link on our menu, and it'll take you right there. We look forward to seeing you on Patreon, and thank you for supporting the show. All right, I'm excited to have this guest, um, Major Scott Husing, author of an upcoming book, Echo and Ramadi. Uh, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on the program. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm excited. I was looking at this this book, and it looks like it's it's gonna it's a fascinating story. But let's let's start out by giving our listeners a little kind of background uh, about you, why you joined the Marines, and how you got started started in your uh, career. Sure, I joined the Marines just out of high school in. 1989. Uh, I didn't much like uh, your, your bio on on the scoff love page we were, we were talking about earlier. I didn't have a stellar GPA and barely squeaked out of high school <laughs> and, uh, throughout my young unsupervised life, I didn't have a lot of guidance or, or discipline really. So, uh, didn't do too well. Uh, then a friend of mine introduced me to, uh, uh, the Marine Corps. And I'd kind of led this lifestyle of high risk behavior, even as a young child, like taking mm. ridiculous stunts from my brother, you know, jumping off of roofs and BMX and, you know, being dragged down alleys behind the car in the, <laughs> you know, in the winters, winters of Chicago area. And uh, so I was very uh, attracted to the Marine Corps. They seemed like this, the biggest group of risk takers. Uh, and it was, seemed like a natural fit to me. So I enlisted and served uh, in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and then decided I really needed to focus on getting an education. So I went to college and uh, I fared much better than I did in high school. And I attribute that really to the discipline that mm-hmm. I, I gained as a young Marine. And it really helped me succeed in college. And I graduated in three years, got my commission nice. as an officer in the Marine Corps as in the infantry and after uh, serving 24 years, both enlisted and commissioned, that was kind of my career path. Um, and throughout those 24 years, I conducted 10 deployments to over 60 different countries worldwide, and wow. some of the some of the worst and some of the, some of the better spots of the world. But uh, it was it was the path that that I I wound up taking, and uh, I don't have any regrets looking back. That's for sure. Is what I mean traveling that much? I mean, you must learn a lot from from meeting people in di- in different parts of the world. And um, um, I mean, what kind of do you have any uh, stories of like of 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 being you know serving and and meeting people, meeting civilians and stuff, and the kind of work you do? Because that's always my favorite stuff to hear um, about people in the military when they're serving overseas. The the best part about being in the military, one of the greatest aspects is obviously the travel. But yeah. moreover, it's 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 the men and women that you serve with because 
they make up such a small percentage of the American population that are willing to serve their country. Yeah. And you're surrounded by this amazing demographic of, of people. And one of the things I write about is in my book, Echo Namadi was it's not that the Marine Corps has the, the, the most lethal warriors on the battlefield or how, how straight they shoot or how they attack and kill the enemy with unbridled ferocity. It's the fact that it's also comprised service-wide of artisans and poets and musicians and no. singers and painters and, and yes, sometimes writers. Um, <laughs> and good leaders really know how to tap into that. And if you understand that, it, it really makes you a, a better unit, a more cohesive unit. So when you're out there, whether doing exercises or deployed to um, combat zones, which I've, I've been in, in both on multiple occasions, um, you do meet a lot of the local people. And it, it's it's a very life-enriching experience because uh, even in some of the, the worst conditions, like in Ramadi, Iraq in 2006 and 2007, which was the deadliest city in Iraq at the time, wow. I, you were still immersed with the local populace. And to say that um, the, what, what is portrayed on the mainstream media of, of uh, local Iraqis or Afghani citizens in either theater during this long war, they're, they're not representative of the entire culture. There were some absolutely uh, fine people who were committed to their country and patriotic of the, the land that they had you know, been born in and grew up in, and they treated us well. I mean, there were times when they gave us hot chai when we were cold and mm-hmm. and flatbread uh, out of the kindness of their hearts. So you, you meet all types of different people, uh, even in the worst conditions uh, created by humanity in, in combat. So um, I I take those with me as, as something that are very special to me is uh, – as I look back on not only the worst parts, but there were also some, you know, really great parts. Let's talk a little bit about, um, Echo and Ramadi, your book and why'd you write it? And, and what's, what's the story? What was the process of putting that together? Well, Echo and Ramadi is the story of brotherhood and shared adversity. And it's the story of a U.S. Marine Corps infantry company during the second battle of Ramadi. It is a 10 month snapshot in time that's graphically depicted um, that I share the excitement known only to those who survived the intense urban combat during the second battle of Ramadi in operation Iraqi freedom. And the reason I wrote the book was to honor the sacrifices and spirit of my Marines and, and the families that supported us while we fought. And that still continue to support us this day, our gold star families that I am inextricably connected to and it is my tribute to them and i'm honored and humbled to tell this great story so readers do feel the pain and emotion and laughter at some of the worst times and the intensity and friction that i try to describe in unvarnished detail throughout this story i was very fortunate throughout the process of writing the book um not only to wind up at a great publishing house like regnery uh, that really feels passionate about telling such great stories like this. But throughout the process of writing the book, it began as this outlet for me to, one, tell a significant epic battle that occurred 
in Ramadi, but also to serve as another portal for my Marines to heal. And mm. although the stories and the characters in Echo and Ramadi, Jordan, are singular in nature, yeah. they're very emblematic of what all Marines and all soldiers deal with on the battlefield and some yeah. of the personal experiences that they have to go through um, when they fight and also when they return home um, and dealing with some of the, the tragic uh, effects of post-traumatic stress and the tragedies that have followed and the, the, the sad number of Marines we've lost to suicide um, mm. because of the facts of uh, what they saw on the battlefield and all of those things that they will never be able to unsee, yeah. so to speak. And that's a very very harsh reality that um, although we're getting better, we've got better uh, mediums and uh, organizations to help veterans with post-traumatic stress. I think that uh, we we cannot forget that there are always uh, veterans in need. And any of your listeners that want to help, they can they can help. And sometimes it's just by listening to a veteran or becoming engaged in some charities that help veterans. I'm, I'm also very fortunate to be the executive director of save the brave, which is a certified nonprofit. None of us take a single penny oh, awesome. uh, for salary. It's all 100% to veterans. And if they're interested, they can go to that website as well at www.savethebrave.org or And it's not always about writing a big check to help veterans. Um, mm-hmm. although it, we, we do like those too. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, a lot of times it's just giving of your time and really putting some skin in the game and giving a Saturday to go volunteer or help at an event or participate in an event. I think those are really some of the most meaningful contributions that those that haven't experienced combat, those that haven't experienced a life in the military that really want to give back to our nation's veterans. Those are great ways to do that. And there's plenty of, of nonprofits out there doing so many great things. It, it, it makes me proud to be a veteran and, and, and proud to continue to support um, our nation's heroes through uh, what we do with uh, our work with Save the Brave. And that is to connect veterans through outreach programs to just build strength of character. That's our mission. And we do that in a numerous, numerous ways uh, to, to help these young men and women. And so it's a great thing. And at the end of the day, it's really what makes me happy. That's, that's awesome. And, and with, um, with the holidays coming up, are there ways to that, um, to help, uh, families of, of people that are overseas serving? I mean, I feel like that would, that, you know, having a, having a, a dad overseas serving makes it probably pretty difficult for Christmas. It does. Um, I've missed more than my share of holidays um, throughout my 10 deployments in in the Marine Corps. But uh, any of your listeners to the program can can reach out to a local military base. They can contact the USO. They can go online uh, and find plenty of ways to. you know, support veterans that are deployed overseas, but also reach out to the family groups that are still here that are missing their loved ones overseas. And also, you know, I mentioned my gold star family and the, you know, gold star families are those moms and dads and and brothers and sisters that have lost uh, their son or daughter or brother or sister in combat. And they cannot be described as ordinary people. They are, this group of extraordinary people, mm-hmm. this, this 
group and this family that I'm so connected to that continue to love us so much despite their loss. And if you really talk about helping and, and being connected to those in need uh, at the holidays, those the holidays are really tough times for our Gold Star families and they cannot be forgotten. No. Um, they're just such an important part because we who went through the chasm of war, those that fought, those of us that have served and put on the uniform and sacrificed, we did that willingly. We took an oath, we stepped up to the plate and we knew what we were getting into, but the gold star families, they lost, Mm -hmm. they didn't make that choice. So there's a lot of great opportunities to stay connected and and really support our gold star families and uh, really highlight their, their contributions of, um, breeding a great generation of Americans that are willing to put on the uniform, you know, unfurl their cape and, and, and defend our freedom. Uh, It's just an amazing, amazing group of people. And, and I'm so proud that uh, I call so many of them uh, my friends to this day. They're, they're always there for me, no matter when I pick up the phone or whatever I need, or if they need something, it's just an amazing network that we share that will be eternal. Yeah. You mentioned kind of like the way things are portrayed in the media. I feel like everything is so, when it comes to war, like everything is so black and white. Like I I don't, from if I'm looking back on like the Iraq war being in college and thinking of, of what was going on then and, and, you know, all the protests on college campus and all that stuff, they always made it seem like, like we were like this imperialist enemy that was going into these countries and they just hated us and wanting, wanted us out all the time, which like, and then I hear from guys that have served that are like, oh no, they were, you know, we, we had relationships with these people in the, the civilians and we were helping each other out and it was this very symbiotic relationship. It's not like, you know, good guy, bad guy kind of, I don't know, from, from what you see like in movies or in the media and stuff. Yeah. It, it's not, I don't know if I'd use the term symbiotic. I'm no. sure that n- nobody appreciated us being there. And, and what's, what's interesting is to make a comparison, which I, I like to do often is most Americans cannot fathom, uh, what the Iraqi people have had to go through yeah. as we tried to fight and, and purge their country of, of the insurgency yeah. and, you know, murderous regime that was trying to take hold there. If an American, could possibly fathom having their house raided at three o'clock in the morning, being awakened and their entire family marshaled into one room. And then a squad of heavily armed Marines, uh, going through ransacking their house, looking for weapons and contraband. I, it's just something that you can't comprehend. It's something that most Americans only see on a, on a, on a good episode of cops, (laughs) Uh, you know, and they just, would never be able to understand that. But these people tolerated this because they were also subjected to the brutality and intimidation of the insurgency uh, throughout the long war in Iraq and Afghanistan, because the the common tactic for the insurgents was to go into homes, stash their weapons, AK-47s, machine guns, uh, IED making material for roadside bombs and threaten the locals and say, Hey, Jordan, you're going to keep this stuff for me. You're going to keep it safe. And you're not going to tell the Americans where it is, or we're going to come back and kill you. Wow. 
And that's that's a double-edged sword. So when we come in and we find it, and you know, I find a, a, a pile of AKs in your broom closet, Jordan, I'm going to think <laughs> you're helping the insurgents, right? But it's yeah. not always the case because most of the time they didn't even know how to insert a magazine into the weapon. Oh, yeah. So we knew that they were kind of victims, so to speak, of, of the insurgency. And that was a challenge for not only me as a, as a seasoned commander who'd done multiple combat tours already, had 35 years of life experience, but to that young 22-year-old sergeant or corporal uh, who has to deal with that type of dynamic on an urban battlefield under some of the most extreme conditions, that's, that's a challenge to identify yeah. who are the bad guys and who are the good guys. Mm. Um, at the end of the day, we, we our methods and tactics, we figured out a way to quickly identify who the bad guys were, who needed killing and who didn't. And that's uh, where the science becomes an art, so to speak, as you operate in an area for an extended period of time. Yeah. It seems like um, a lot of these war, the, the you know, in the Middle East, the war, I, the wars are different than the wars of yesteryear. There's a lot of like having to decipher who, who's, who's the bad guy and who isn't and their tactics aren't conventional. Like when you read like, you know, about world war two or like, old, you know, the, the wars of yesteryear, it seems like it's, it must be very difficult to navigate. It is. It's a very fluid, very dynamic environment when you're talking about an unconventional war, uh, unconventional warfare is designed that way to, uh, go against a heavily armed force like the U.S. military because at the, at the beginning and at the end of the day, they know that they don't have the military might, training, or or firepower to go toe-to-toe with uh, an organization like the U.S. Marines or the U.S. Army that, that wields such a heavy sword. So you have to adapt and find tactics. And the one thing that they always had on their side in any insurgency, whether it's Vietnam whether it's whether it's Iraq, whether it's Afghanistan or or the Horn of Africa, is they have time on their side because they live there. They're willing to wait us out. And as advanced as our technologies would become through use of sensors or uh, electronics or precision weaponry, thermal optics, they would become more adept at the rudimentary tactics of waiting us out or mm-hmm. not using communication devices and bearing small notes in the ground, just like they did during the uh, Revolutionary War, which was, you know, yeah. akin to, you know, what we, we experienced as we were fighting for our independence in America. Yeah. So um, the only difference was, is the insurgency didn't belong in Iraq. Uh, the the, the locals didn't want them there. They, they yeah. wanted us to purge. So there was some, there was some degree of, uh, I would say, you know, a symbiotic relationship that they had. They wanted us there. They knew that at the end of the day, the Marines and the soldiers were there to purge that country of the insurgency. And they also knew that they couldn't rely on their local police force because it had become so corrupt and so dismantled Mm -hmm. that there was just no one to trust. And at the end of the day, we were the most honest brokers on the battlefield because although the Marines fought uh, day in and day out uh, in 2006, it it wasn't a matter of if we were going to get engaged uh, with the enemy in firefights, it was when and how often sometimes we would be engaged in firefights two, three, four 
times a day up to, you know, five hours at a time. Uh, wow. There were some of the most grueling battles uh, during the second battle of Ramadi in 2006 that, that we'd experienced to date, but they, they also knew that we were there to protect them. And that was something that they found out as we not only fought with lethality, but also honor and yeah. the Marines were, were, you know, carried that ethos with them as they fought. And I, it makes me extremely proud of these young men and women that, that, that fought with me and that continue to fight. I mean, they're still there. We're still engaged in Iraq. We're still engaged in Syria. So although it, the tax plan and, Everything that's going on in the, the horrific aftermath of the Texas shooting that we all see in the news today, mm -hmm. there are still men and women downrange that are protecting the freedoms that we enjoy every single day. And mm -hmm. they're just not getting the coverage that they deserve. Even if it was just a weekly segment, I would be a little bit satiated that the that the mainstream media was doing their job to mm -hmm. to cover down on the brave acts and the sacrifices that our Marines, soldiers, sailors, and airmen, and the families that are sacrificing, you know, back here while their, their loved ones are deployed. If they got some coverage, it would, it would make me a little, little bit happier. Yeah. Well, and if I, I think if I read earlier this week correctly, I think ISIS just recently either lost one of their last strongholds or the last stronghold that they had in Syria, which I mean, like the fact that, I mean, ISIS is starting to be, you know, taken out is, is amazing. And I mean, like you said, that's like, that's a huge testament to the work that you did and to the work that our men and women are doing over there with the Iraqi, you know, forces. Um, I had a question. So you said, you said you were able to eventually you know, kind of tell who was good and who was bad. How did that process go? Because like when you when you talk about like even like getting flatbread uh, from the locals and like, you know, food and things like that, like after a while, like I feel like initially when I hear that, I think like, how could you trust, you know, that the people who are, you know, around you are actually like, you know, rooting for you as opposed to like trying to poison you or or like, you know, even trying to get intelligence or whatever. So how, how did that process go in that unconventional way of warfare that you were actually able to, to tell the bad from the good? Well, let's talk tactics first is how we figured it out in, in certain portions of the town is yes, we were fighting an ununiformed enemy. Uh, mm -hmm. They blended in very well with the local populace. They, like I said, they would, they would slip into a local home. They would grab their weapons. They would take a couple not so well aimed shots at a Marine or, or army patrol. They ditch the weapons, then slip out the back door and blend right back in with the populace. So it wasn't, it took a while to figure out what the routine was, how to respond to that and who the bad guys were. And there was one story I tell that I'll share with you is we were in the Western part of Ramadi. Uh, one of my young Marines calls me up to the rooftop and says, Hey, sir, you got to get up here. So I run up to the top of the roof he hands me a set of binoculars and he goes, look across the street over there where we're receiving sporadic small arms fire. So I pick up the binos and I look through and I see the guys running back and forth. And he says to me, do you see, do you see they're wearing running shoes underneath their dish dasha or their man dresses, mm -hmm. like to call it. So I looked, I said, that's it. 
they're they're wearing running shoes and it kind of made sense right you know no yeah. insurgent wants to get into a, a firefight with a with a team of badass marines wearing flip there's a few ways you don't want to go out you know you don't want to go out while you're you know in the bathroom or you know you wearing flip-flops while you're fighting the marines so that's a bad day so we figured that out and um no, trust me, they weren't all wearing Adidas running shoes, but that, you know, it was, there was, again, it's kind of where, you know, art meets science in, in trying to figure out how they fought. Um, to your question about the locals, uh, we were very fortunate too, that we had a group of interpreters along with us as we went out on every patrol and these, uh, young citizen warriors uh, were some of the most amazing people that I not only met, but were so impactful to me, uh, Donovan, that I wrote about it in my book, Echo and Amadi. There's an entire chapter about my interpreters because these 18, 19 year old kids who had been victims of the insurgency found a way and the only way they knew to strike back against the insurgency and redeem some, some respect and, uh, what they had lost was to join the American forces and become interpreters in country. And they took tests and they, they joined our ranks and they were very helpful at um, determining who, the, you know, who the friendlies were on the battlefield, who the people we could trust. And, and they really allowed me as a commander to gauge my reactions to some of the situations we were thrust into in, in some of the most hellish situations on the battlefield. And, uh, I'm eternally grateful to these, um, you know, young men and women, uh, that we had attached to our, our, our company of over 250 Marines as we fought daily, uh, in the city of Ramadi. They're, they're just extraordinary. And, uh, they're, a couple of them are some real success stories uh, that that I write about as well, who are now U.S. citizens. But I don't want to give it all away. You got to read all oh. about it. <laughs> They're just amazing people, and uh, they are they are akin to the uh, patriots of our Revolutionary War, to use that same example, because they they fought and defended what they knew what was right at the end of the day, and it 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 did take us a long time to figure that out because there is a rapid turnover uh, in in the rotation of forces in country, you know, they had time on their side. So we had to quickly figure out what our battle rhythm was going to be. But what's important too, for your listeners to understand, whoever listens to the program in general, is that our whole methodology, you, you were talking about ISIS Donovan and mm-hmm. um, how it was no secret in, in 2015 that they took Ramadi. Yeah. As, as the capital city of Alambar province. It's for a reason, because it is the capital city. Mm-hmm. So they took hold of hold of Ramadi, uh, and slowly but surely over the past two, two and a half years, we've rooted them out systematically uh, through a very deliberate process. And I think that's maybe in part because we don't have all the mainstream media coverage, because the American people, they want everything fast, right? We're a fast fast food nation. We want fast food. We want quick, fast at our ATM machines. We want fast democracy. And this is something we try to impose on a culture that's been around for 5,000 years. So again, it was American hubris at its best thinking we were going to impose our will, uh, our, our, our meager 250 year existence on a a 5,000 year old culture overnight. It just, 
was not practical. And the fact that we pulled out and we didn't leave a significant footprint over in that region, I think was not, not helping further our end state. When people ask me about, well, do you feel you won? And I tell them that I never really had a solid metric for success of win or lose. Um, if, if, if it was a matter of how many insurgents we killed on the battlefield, I'd say, yeah, we won. We absolutely killed more bad guys than, than we lost Marines. But the true metrics of success for me uh, was bringing as many Marines home alive as I possibly could through our, our, our training and tactics and leadership, not just me, but even at the lowest level, we had some of the best leaders um, at this, at the platoon and, and squad level that, uh, I was fortunate to have because a lot of the, the, the sergeants and corporals that, uh, filled the ranks in echo company, second battalion, fourth Marines had fought in Ramadi 18 months before we, um, uh, went back into the town and they had a lot of experience. So I was pretty, pretty lucky, um, to have that on my side. What, I mean, seeing combat, obviously, for people that haven't seen it, I mean, what's, I mean, what's that like? What does that, what does that do to your, 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 your psyche, your, you know, it must be hard coming back into the civilian world after going through so much of that. I mean, I, I can't even begin to imagine what it's like being on the battlefield, but I think it's helpful to try and, and learn to be able to appreciate what you guys have done. Well, it is hard to articulate, and I, I did my best to describe in my book, Echo and Ramadi, the, the pain and the feeling and the emotion and what I described as the friction of combat. And it's not a story of, of events or things. I, like, I think if you want to read about events or things, you pick up the newspaper. Yeah. What I like to focus on is is that visceral feeling to the individual. And I conducted over 85 personal interviews during the course of writing this story, recording and taking notes to ensure that every detail was checked for accuracy. And it, it wouldn't have been the same story had I written it 10 years ago because of the fact that it has taken almost a decade for that pain to abate for most of the Marines and for the families to process and come to grips with everything that you know we dealt with in combat and in the aftermath of a war that followed because i think the interviews really would have been different the stories would have been repressed yeah. probably tainted by the survivors guild um so the experience of combat is is it's not a natural event uh, mm. first and foremost um you know it's it's something that uh humans create and it's often created by those that um you know sit in blind pronouncement behind desks and government offices but uh, they'll never have to experience that type of savagery that it encompasses or the the emptiness that it leaves in its absence um both in the 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 minds and, and the souls of those that fight uh, it's just a, this unrelenting tide that um you know swells and crashes as um, you're immersed in this situation, uh, but it's a it's a very real thing. You know, combat is um, severe in its most extreme form, and and that reality of combat for those that fight 
it tends to escape the senses if you're not in it at the moment, um, being shot at or blown up or mortared or whatever else. It, it That simply just becomes part of that daily friction that surrounds you and the repetitiveness and the boredom and the chaos and the horror of it all. It, it can't exist. It, but the training that we receive prepares us for that. It insulates us to it to a degree but that 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 friction still exists and you know for your for your listeners who have not experienced that um type of combat it's it just doesn't seem real um i mean for me and for for many it, it doesn't seem real until you uh look the parents of a, a 19 year old marine in the eye and uh you know, have to express your sympathies for the death of their, their son, who is ultimately your responsibility. Um, and it's not, it's not easy uh, to kill another human being and not for anyone. And I don't care how romanticized or cavalier it's portrayed in fiction or on television or in movies. It's a horrific life-changing action for most, but mm-hmm. in war killing is what happens. And, Marines are trained to kill and uh, they do it. They do it well because they're the best our nation has to offer. Um, and that's, that's something that um, we continue to struggle with uh, as we leave the battlefield. But I think that uh, what's important is the, pr- the preparation that we, we give our young men and women in training is, is the best that, that we can, that we can offer. And they're, they're, they're never without great leadership and, and each other. And that's really why they fight. It's not for, uh, the numbers on the scoreboard at the end of the game. It's, it's fighting for each other and doing what's right and really helping those that can't help themselves. That's the true spirit of what Marines do. Yeah. One, one thing that I, at least in my personal life um, in the last year or so that I've been trying to, to grow is definitely in, in, in discipline. And that seems to be a thing that I keep coming across. You know, I listen to a lot of Jocko Willink's podcasts and stuff, and it seems like just like being in the military creates definitely creates a sense of duty and a sense of discipline that a lot of civilians or just a lot of people in my generation just don't have. I mean, do you have any tips for, for people uh, in terms of like what, what you've learned in the, in the military and how that could apply to, you know, people outside of the military to just kind of be more efficient in life or, 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 or as better leaders as better, you know, citizens. Well, I had the, again, the, comparative uh upbringing from leading a life of high-risk behavior yeah. and getting in fights and speeding tickets and running from the cops and uh all through high school and then joining the marine corps to this lifestyle of regimented disciplined behavior probably the most <laughs> disciplined culture known um in america for, for certain if not the world but um it 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 absolutely was probably something I was lacking as a young child growing up. So I was, I was fortunate to apply what the Marine Corps had taught me over my 24 years in service. And 
it's a lifestyle choice that you have to make. And, mm-hmm. you know, Jocko is a, is an, another great example of that. And I'm, I'm a, a friend and follower of his, uh, podcasts. And I, I, he I was looking I love looking at his watch every day on Facebook. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> the first thing that pops in my head, I'm like, Jocko, what time do you go to bed? Yeah. Is, is he going to bed at eight o'clock? Cause I don't know. But yeah. I, I love him. And, and I, I, was just with 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 he and, and uh, the rest of the uh, uh, extreme team down in San Diego a couple months ago. Um, at, oh, at for the muster, but yeah, for the oh yeah, I saw I was, I saw pictures. I, just, uh, I didn't I didn't participate, but uh, I went down to say hello uh, to a couple of the guys and and Jocko and his team um, fought in Ramadi during the same time as I did in 2006. Yeah. Um, a bruiser. We were kind of ships passing in the night. But uh, his, his latest book, Discipline Equals Freedom, is Field Manual, is another great guidebook for people that are, are looking for a start point, too. Uh, it's just he gets it, and there's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way to uh, make it easy about the, 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 the tenet of discipline. It's not – I think he describes it as there's no such thing as self-discipline. It's just discipline. <laughs> you have to want to do it. And the times when you think you can't do it, those are probably the times you should be doing it. I think uh, is to paraphrase Jocko is um, it's really spot on. And uh, it's something that I've adapted in my own personal lifestyle too is that um, you, you have to be disciplined and you have to know what your limitations are. You also have to know what your weaknesses are and whether it's it's some of it, maybe food uh, fatty foods. Sometimes it might be, you know, alcohol. Um, oh, yeah. That, that Domino's uh, pizza tracker, man. Fast, <laughs> but, um, you, you know, those are things that I have control over, uh, as, as I, as I talk to people, they, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier, um, about the experience of combat and what that's like and, and the aftermath and how you process that mentally. But, for me, it's not the 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 fighting or the the shooting or the killing or the the destruction and seeing the worst things that humanity has to offer. Uh, I don't have nightmares. I don't uh, lament over the dead. I, it, that's not what bothers me. Um, it's really the the absence of that friction, uh, mm. the absence of that high risk uh, lifestyle that I was surrounded by my entire life. Um, and not having those inputs are really something that um, I think personally uh, I've I've had to assess in my life to uh, make adjustments. And I think it's a lot of other veterans, things that they struggle with as well, um, you know, whether it's vices, alcohol or food or uh, anxiety, whatever it is that they're dealing with. Uh, they have to understand that one, it's okay to, to hurt and it's, and it's okay to heal. Yeah. That's the first thing. And that I, I learned this through age and wisdom that, that no one's perfect and I'm not perfect. And there's been times when I've slipped because that's life. Yeah. Life is slippery and there's inevitable points in your career and your life that you lose traction, you slip yeah. and you'll fall. And for me, that was not an easy process to share those times in my life when I wrote Echo and Ramadi, because it is also my story too, mm-hmm. but that's the decision I made. And I, and I did that 
only in the hopes that others can learn from it, that it's all right not to be perfect and that you're going to fall at some point because I've fallen. Um, but the real measure of success, and this is not just a, a cliche, Jordan, is that it's picking yourself back up and carrying on with the mission, Yeah, whatever that yeah. mission is, yeah. your career or the military or life after the military, uh, that takes discipline and you have to be, uh, you know, realistic to know that it's going to take discipline to succeed and to carry on because you owe it to those that went before that, that, that we lost on the battlefield. You owe it to yourself, you owe it to your families. And, you, you know, when you reach those points in life that you can almost feel it coming as you lose ground, you, you know, that traction. Um, and, but most veterans will ignore it. You know, they'll think that they're impervious to the effects of gravity yeah. because we're Marines, right? Nothing's going to bring us down. Yeah. Uh, they know, they know this because that's how they're trained. But when you lose traction, that ground underneath you and, and make no mistake about it, you're going to land hard yeah. and some land harder than others. But when you fall, um, you can also learn to adjust and continue on. And again, I, I'll be the first to admit that I had more than my share of struggles and tough decisions, both in combat and afterwards. Uh, and there's times when I've lost traction, but despite those punctuated moments of humility, uh, I think they really made me feel more human and allowed me to identify those slippery areas on life that were ahead of me on the road, um, in front of me. So, um, it, I just say that because I know there's a lot of listeners that, um, are veterans or that know people in their families or friends that are veterans that, uh, can, can maybe have some, some insight as to what they've gone through and, and what they deal with it after they return from the battlefield. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great lesson to take away. I mean, I think, I think, and it's relatable on, on so many different levels. And I think that's why, like, you know, it's, it's great. You know, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading this book. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to it because it, it just brings that experience so much closer to, you know, civilian life, which I mean, in, in some respects, it's like, like you said, like combat is a very, in many ways, unnatural form to put a human being into, but, uh, but civilians and people in everyday life often don't realize how much, how much they can take away from the experiences of veterans and how much they can look to them as role models, you know, um, just for solving problems and, and, you know, the everyday battles of life, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, so I think that's great. Yeah. I feel like that there's a lot of, of wisdom from people in the military and from previous generations that got thrown out with the hippies a lot of the time. <laughs> it's like, we don't need any of that well, stuff. And I'm now sure we've got the millennials. said about me, but, uh, again, it comes to a little age and experience. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm sure they've said other things about me too, but uh, <laughs> hey, we all, we all grow, right? You can't please them all. Yeah. You know, yeah. In, when you release the book, you got to um, put like some links on the site of like, you know, you being uh, dragged down an alley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of jackass type stuff. I'm sure my brother will post embarrassing photos of me as an adolescent uh, at some point on Facebook or social media. So. You were oh, you were talking about cops earlier. You got any episodes of cops that you cameoed in? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I could have been. I think it was, I was before the, the era of cops. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I'm man. sure it would have made prime time with some of the antics and stunts I pulled off. 
I'm surprised that that show is still being made, especially this day and age. <laughs> it just seems like it's been on longer than like any other TV show. It seems it's crazy. It's the original reality show, right? I guess kind of. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a reboot that they could do, they could gen up if they wanted to. Speaking of uh, speaking of media, I I ask this to every veteran who comes on a pro on our program because you know we're like we're movie guys and you're no stranger to Hollywood. Um, I don't know if you like war movies, but like what what would you say is is maybe the best made war film or series that spoke that spoke to your experience as a as a Marine and, you know, uh, a combat veteran? Ah, that's a that's a great question. One I wasn't prepared for. But uh, I think that I from from film and TV, I think that. We Were Soldiers is probably one of my favorite Vietnam era movies that truly depicts not only the that chaos and, and friction on the battlefield, but also the the humanity and the, the, the struggles that um, that unit went through. And uh, very, very sad loss uh, this year, how more passed yeah. away. And uh, yeah. but Joe, he and Joe Galloway did such a phenomenal job with the book, uh, which is it is. 10 times better than any, any film could have done it justice, but the film was really great. I think, um, you know, generation kill is a, uh, is a good depiction of, of the grittiness that, um, you know, uh, brains and soldiers experience in, in the urban, urban fight during the long war Mm -hmm. that we continue to fight today. Um, so there's, there's several good ones out there. Uh, I don't think it's ever really the intent for Hollywood in the film industry to portray it. 100% 100% accurate right. because honestly, I don't think most audiences would, would watch it for 90 minutes. I think that's just the reality, but, um, I think there are a lot of, uh, good projects out there. I think there's a lot of good documentaries, um, that, that are being, uh, produced, uh, you know, thank you for your service, which highlights some of the, the strife of, uh, the VA system and what guys are going through. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of good stuff out there, but, um, I've, I found myself re- reading more as I've, I've gotten older and uh, I, as I as I finished this first book. And I'm also very fortunate to work uh, with a veterans writing project with the Writers Guild in in Los Angeles who takes on a group of veterans. And, and they donate their time freely. It's an amazing program mm-hmm. that I was lucky to be accepted into. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on my, my second book, which is another great military story. And uh, another true confession is one of my mentors asked me after I did a, a short reading of a synopsis said, wow, Scott, that's a, uh, that's amazing. He's like, when did you realize you had the talent to, to, to write like this and, and capture these stories? And, and again, I had to admit, I said, well, I wasn't really a great high school student. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't actually read my first book until I was on active duty as a young Lance corporal in desert storm. When somebody sent me a care package and they couldn't believe it. They said, you're kidding, right? How'd you get through high school? I said, cliff notes, of course. True confession did not read my first book until, uh, I was a Lance corporal sitting in a fighting hole in, um, you know, the middle East, uh, cover to cover. What book was that? It was uh, called Guns Up, and okay. it was sent to me in a care package, um, and it was a little white cardboard box, uh, yeah. and uh, usually they tuck some 
corn nuts and snacks and, uh, you know, pencils or something in there. But yeah, it was guns up by Johnny Clark, Johnny M. Clark. And, uh, it was a Marine Corps Vietnam, uh, you know, paperback that I read and that was it. Nice. Is, is yeah. this is kind of a side side note, but do they uh, in care package pa- packages? And I feel like I've seen this in the movie. We could talk about uh, Hollywood here. Um, do they send uh, send like uh, grain, like whiskey or like vodka in uh, Listerine uh, <laughs> bottles yeah. over? To, yeah. so that, I feel and, like that was a Desert Storm thing, wasn't was it? it? Yeah, like they, they died, they dyed it green or something. Like there's stories about what that. movie was that in? I'm trying to remember where I saw that. Jarhead. It meant Jarhead. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And although that that movie's uh, and it, the book by Swafford was, uh, it, you know, not did not receive a lot of acclaim and praise because of some of the depictions of hazing and mm-hmm. those crazy antics. I'm going to have to say it wasn't far off the mark, and that is not urban legend. That did mm. happen. Oh, really? Cool. I, I can't say it happened to my <laughs> unit. Um, I don't know if it was going on in my unit as a commander as I moved up the ranks, but uh, I, I think that, you know, when we fought uh, in the other deployments during OIF and Operation Iraqi Freedom, that wasn't going on, but uh, we were, right, right. no one wanted to risk it. Um, so no fresh breath. What? Yeah, no. no fresh breath uh, during Operation Iraqi Freedom. <laughs> Just keep it, keep it natural. Fresh, fresh breath was not a priority. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think the. I don't know what my record was for not taking a shower during that deployment, but I think it was somewhere oh, around 50 plus days. Holy crap. Like but <laughs> I, I'm sure there were other Marines in my company that prided themselves on going far longer <laughs> in a conventional shower than, than 50 days. I feel like you would just fuse to your uniform at that point. <laughs> You did. You became one with it. The only thing you really ever wanted to change was your socks. And uh, we did get care packages uh, in Ramadi and and in Baghdad and other other places I fought. But, uh, yeah, with socks were usually the best thing. But uh, the the niceties that were present in uh, Desert Storm care packages were kind of replaced with the the more mission essential gear like socks and uh, uh, T-shirts and hygiene products and sometimes embarrassing feminine hygiene products that uh, uh, were designed to plug bullet holes uh, <laughs> if they're wounded. Uh, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting that the, the, the families and, and veteran supporters back home were listening to what the Marines and soldiers were wanted on the battlefield. And it wasn't comic books. It was <laughs> things that they needed to survive. So it was, yeah. it was pretty cool. That's crazy. I, I um, uh, I've used those uh, products to plug uh, nosebleeds before, and they work great. So I assume they'd work well Jordan, for uh, getting a, a great visual of you right now. <laughs> uh, an old movie, which is before your time, called Strange Brew. Oh yeah, that's Bob classic. I mean, I'm originally from Canada, so I know it well. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Yes. yes, you know the McKenzie brothers yeah. very well. Very great. I hope they make a comeback. I, I, it's sad to not see Rick Moranis doing stuff anymore, but it'd be it'd be cool to see him come back with that with him and uh, what was it? Was it Dave Thomas? Yeah, him and Dave, Dave Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, Dave Thomas. If he plays his cards right, he may end up in season three of Stranger Things. <laughs> 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 oh man, you never you never know. 
Oh, well, oh, thank man. you so much, Scott, for coming on. We'll have to have you back on um, yeah. as you continue working on projects. But um, yeah, so um, you've already plugged where people can get your book, but where can people find you if they want to follow you and, and, and what you're up to? So if your listeners want to find out more about me or about the book, you can go to my website at www.echoinramadi.com. Or you can find me on Facebook at Echo and Ramadi or Twitter at Echo and Ramadi or Instagram or Pinterest at Scott Husing or just <laughs> Google Scott Husing Echo and Ramadi. Um, I'm, I'm all over social media and uh, I, I, I feel uh, a little bit uh, of testosterone ooze down the <laughs> inseam of my leg every time I hand someone a business card and ask them to follow me on Facebook. <laughs> age, age 47. But, uh, you know, it's 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 our new medium and That's our president true. was elected through twitter so i can't feel too embarrassed <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, but, you know it's, it's what we do so, but uh, there's a lot a lot of great ways your your listeners of the program can can find out more about me or the book but uh, go to my website at, at echoandramadi.com and there's some great videos that i put together that tell a little bit about the book and there's some really cool photos of my marines and the families on there and gives a little description of me in the book so in ways to you can pre-order it now uh, your listeners can pre-order on Amazon or at Barnes and Noble. Uh, just go to echoandramadi.com and you can click on the link and uh, purchase your advanced copy. Awesome. And and little known fact, uh, your Pinterest is uh, mostly pictures of ball jars and essential oils, right? Is that, is that what's on there? <laughs> essential oils? That, I think that my, that my wife's <laughs> you may be looking at. <laughs> right. tries to sla- she tries to slather me with those essential oils to uh, abate any anxiety I may be expressing. Oh, yeah. I just tell her, no, leave me alone. (laughs) I don't want to smell like a valley full of lavender. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, don't knock until you try it, Jordan. I know, I know. I have tried it. It actually puts me to sleep. Um, We're we're working on it. We're we're working on it. This is the third podcast we've mentioned. the diffuser in the background. Yeah, there you go. You can see it. Uh, I tell you, though, that peppermint oil keeps me awake. That's the thing I use. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right, let's go to a quick... Thanks again, Scott. Let's go to a quick break and we'll come back with the end of the show. Hey, this part of the show is brought to you by Phoenix Shaving. If you like to shave and you are a man or a woman, I mean, some some women are hairy. That's all right. That's okay. No judgment. But if you, uh, you're a guy that likes to shave and appreciates the finer things in life, go to gentlemanscofflaw.com slash shave. Um, that link helps support the show. And you could check out some of Douglas Smythe's amazing shaving soaps, aftershave colognes. You'll be blown away at all the stuff he has. Scents for days. He is like the Walter White of artisan soap making. He's got this lab basically there in, in Phoenix, Arizona, where he uh, creates his soaps and, and he cures them. It's an independent business. You're not giving your money to all those guys that are ripping everybody off with razors. Right now, you can get some wet shaving starter packs so it has everything you need to get started wet shaving you know you can get a sets that have the safety razor the brush the soap the aftershave tons of great scents to pick from i've mentioned before one of my favorites is tombstone also they have sundown which is like a classic barbershop scent um they've got uh, cavendish which smells like like pipe tobacco which is amazing i tell you i've been using the stuff and I don't get any razor burn or razor bumps anymore. This stuff is amazing, especially the 
aftershave. It just removes all irritation, bumps, redness. It's like I've never looked so dapper in my life, and that's thanks to Phoenix Shaving. So go to gentlemanscofflaw.com slash shave and stop being a slave to the cartridge razor shave. All right. Um, another another great guest, uh, Scott. Um, we forgot to do it on uh, on with him, but um, thank you for your service, obviously, and anyone who served our country and yeah. is still serving um, this Veterans Day. You know, think of that. Listen to their stories, like uh, like Scott said. Um, you know, give them some time because they've given so much more so that we can we can be free. Absolutely. In this, in this great country. So, um, John, if people want to support the show, how can they do that? I will go through this whole thing without mentioning even once the lathe made cereal bowls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've got our, uh, our store and on that store we've got, uh, uh, um, what, what have we got? <laughs> we've got stickers, uh, t-shirts, stickers, stickers and t-shirts. Uh, we've got pint glasses, flasks. Our flasks are the coolest thing on the store because I've got one of them. Buttons. Yeah, they're engraved, right? Yeah, they're well, they're like laser etched. I think I don't know how they do it, but it's like it's cool because the logo is on there, but it's also looks silver. Like it's not like like some of these flasks you buy that it's clearly just like like a silk screen or like somebody put a sticker on there. Like it's an actual like it's metallic. I don't know how they do it. It's, but it's super cool. It's all science, um, and then all the other cool stuff. So check that out on the shop link at our gentlemanscofflaw.com. And um, Patreon, if you want to support the show, join us on Patreon. Uh, click the, the link that says support on our website, and you can see all of the rewards you get for being a patron. It's uh, we got a lot of cool stuff going on there, yes, um, and uh, you don't want to miss out. I don't think you want to miss right. out, right, guys? Yeah, no FOMO. No way. <laughs> no FOMO. I didn't mean for that to sound like the other thing, but it did. Sound, what did it sound like? Nothing. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> John, you are a gentleman in the scofflaw, my friend. You guys are too. Donovan, you are a gentleman in the scofflaw, my friend. And both of you as well. And also just a final thank you for your service to all those veterans out there and all, all those veterans. Poor men, take us out. All right. You guys have a great week. This has been the Gentleman's Scofflaw Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Visit us on the interwebs at gentlemanscofflaw.com. Captain says, his ass on the river. We ain't getting home if we don't break through. So damn cold, I can't help but shiver. Rise and shine, we got work to do. Hey! Shiver!